Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. It's 
Hello, everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was the late, great, and incomparable Marvin Gaye, Inner City. Remember that? Oldie but goodie. I guess something that's just destined to be eternally great can never change. And that includes even us. Um, We might go through ups and downs, ins and outs. And yes, we do change along the way, but there's the essence that never changes. There's the power. There's the love. There's the beauty, there's the divinity. It's it's there. If it wasn't there, we would have given up complete hope on ourselves eternally, and we don't. I was remembering my friend Nikki Giovanni today, and Nikki was um, there was a quote that she had said, and you know how Nikki's fiery. She was saying, "We black women are the single group in the West intact, and anybody can see we're pretty shaky. We are, however, all praises, the only group that derives its identity from itself." Mm. In one of our conversations, Nikki reminded me that if a black American woman was to be the president of the United States, she would invite everyone over for dinner and there'd be no issues. (laughs) I just love that. It made sense. It kind of reminds me of Indian women, too. It's like over food, break bread, get over your issues. It's good to be open. It's good to share your feelings. It's good not to suppress your pain or your disappointments or your fears because it has a way of channeling in your psyche, in your consciousness, in your personality, in sometimes very, very unhealthy ways. We're seeing them play out even now in the world where people are just not able to be clear anymore with themselves, and so they can't be clear with anyone else. If you're not clear with you, you're not going to be clear with someone. If you don't love you, you're not going to be able to love someone. If you are a dreamer, you're going to find dreamers. If you are a hater, you're going to hang around haters. If You know what I'm saying? If you're peaceful, you'll find peaceful people. If you're creative, you're going to find creative people. And so to what extent do we all need to just be really awakened, aware, yoked? so to speak. Today, our guest, Dr. Chiniqua Walker-Barnes, is a clinical psychologist and public theologian and ecumenical minister whose work integrates healing, justice, and reconciliation. She is the author of Too Heavy a Yoke, Black Woman and the Burden of Strength, and I Bring the Voices of My People, a Womanist Vision for Racial Reconciliation. She serves as Associate Professor of Practical Theology at Mercer University, and Dr. Shaniqua's faith has been shaped by Methodist, Baptist, and Evangelical social justice communities, as well as by Buddhism and even Islam. She is two-time a breast cancer survivor, and today we're happy to have her on air. Welcome Thank you. Thank you, Sister Jenna. It's so great to be here. Same here. So a lot's going on in your journey, and you have been living it. You live what you speak. You, you've you gone through challenges, and you've overcome them. And as we all know, challenges always come to show us how strong we are. Give us a little bit of an idea about you know, like where you're at inside of yourself now. When you look back at your journey just for our viewers to get an idea, like, where is Shaniqua in the way she sees herself and the world? Mm, yeah, you, you started out talking about Nikki Giovanni. I'm actually reminded, as you asked that question, of Maya Angelou. Um, and, um, oh, actually, I can't remember if it was her, Alice Walker, but the book um, entitled um, I Wouldn't Take Nothing for My Journey Now. Um, mm. And that's kind of where I am, that my journey has had a lot of highs and a lot of lows Mm. and still, you know, I look at where I am and, um, and who I am. And I say, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey. Now, everything in my journey, whether it's the good or the bad, um, has culminated in me being where I am right now. And, um, Part of my journey today is learning how to embrace the present to its fullest capacity, enjoying every moment I have, and allowing myself to be where I need to be. Mm-hmm. You so, know, so, yeah. I, really wish that, I wish that so many of us would understand that a lot of life events and situations, especially the ones that touch the soul at a deeper level, 
that it's it's shaping us it's shaping us for our future and it, it just for me like now i'm in such an interesting stage a stage that i'm not accustomed to i'm i'm not used to being emotional and sensitive and delicate and i've reached this stage and i'm like what's happening to me right <laughs> and then and i'm yeah. just like okay you just have to i'll be on a i'll be on a stage yeah. To give a keynote, and I feel like bursting down and crying, and I go, mm. "Oh my God, what's going on?" So there's a shift of energy that's taking place, I think, for all of us, yeah. and it's signaling us things that's, you know, we want to dismantle our own inner issues, but mm-hmm. we've noticed that the outside world is definitely becoming the precursor for us to become definitely more amplified in our inner power. One of the things about your personal mission is your aim to dismantle the white supremacy, you know, head of your patriarchy while practicing good self-care. How did you come to that, and what does that actually look like for us? Because I'll yeah. tell you, sometimes I just want to, I don't know, I just want to take all of these folks and just send them all to India. Right. <laughs> Go on over there. just <laughs> Because I think they'll just adjust. Just, yeah. just adjust. Yeah, get people out of the context they're used to being in and put them someplace new. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, for me, I have such an eclectic background, starting my my, um, career in training in psychology, moving over into theology, doing all this work on the one hand with race and gender justice, but then on the other hand, talking and teaching and writing a lot about self-care and spirituality. And I was honestly trying to make sense of myself. You know, like when you get to that point where you're like, what is the connecting tissue between all the stuff I've done? And I realized there were two things, and one really was the work I was doing around racial and gender justice. It didn't matter where you put me, um, that a lot of the work that I had done in my career was about that, whether that was in psychology or theology, whether that was in my teaching, it was in my private practice, or even in preaching, right? But on the other hand, the other part of that was doing that work and watching people who had done that work and learning at the feet of people who've been doing that work for far longer, um, some real um, veterans of civil rights struggles, and recognizing the deep toll that it takes on people personally, um, that if we're not grounded, that we become the very things that we're trying to fight, and that we can't put healing energy out into the world because we ourselves are not working out of a place of healing energy. And so I realized that my passion for justice has to be matched by a passion for self-care, both in terms of my own, but also in terms of encouraging others to do the same. I think that's such an important point. Um, I was remembering the Black Panther movement, and, you know, they had started to become black supremacists, and, Mm -hmm. and they were becoming what they were fighting against for the freedom. And it reminds me of this notion of whatever you keep seeing and talking and feeling the most, you become it. So if you're seeing the hate and dealing with the hate, that vibration of that other side, it's like a vibration. It starts to seep into your mind, into the soul. And without you knowing it, you have now brought on board that energy that you were going against and without even knowing it until somebody close can tell you. I remember that I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who runs a very large church, African-American here in D.C., And we were talking about the whole aspect of racism, and I introduced to her the idea of karma. And Mm. I said, you know, in my culture, there's got to be a reason why certain people are just born with this kind of an ignorance, and some are willing to somehow tolerate the ignorance and, and, and fight forward. And so we were talking about how it feels like, you know, there is a very big number of souls who I would say are very new souls on the planet. And then the old souls are carrying a lot of the weight. You know, they're trying. They're like the grandparents. They know it. They've seen it all, but they still have to endure what's going on. And yeah. I feel like uh, sometimes I'll question myself in meditation, and I'll go, "How does an ancient soul speak to a young soul who is now playing the part of a white supremacist?" And mm. you know, how do you access that energy? Because it's an energy in the personality that you're trying to have a conversation with to find some kind of a common ground. Right, right. And Mm -hmm. I think that for me is, it touches on why for me, when I was working in clinical psychology, I found that it wasn't enough to address those issues, um, Mm -hmm. that I needed 
something spirituality because I think, you know, there's this conversation whenever we have these, these mass shootings, right? People talk about is white supremacy a mental illness? And I always say no. It's something deeper than that. There's a soul illness, right? And and the way that you talk about those those young souls who have not yet seen the full cycle of how these things work out, right? And that many of the things that we see coming up in our, our world, um, literally the earth, I think in some ways is crying out to us in a way that is very karmic and in saying there were some, there were some, um, there were some injustices um, to people and to the earth that we have not dealt with for a long time. Well, it's coming, it's coming back around now, right? That in many ways we have to be willing to, to deal with and able to deal with the, whether you want to call them the sins um, that people have committed against other people groups or against the earth, because um, all of that is cyclical. And I think you're right. There are old souls that manage to see that and, and See it in kind of that longer span of time um, that helps us so much in terms of how we react when we can see things connected to histories that were even older than our own histories. Right, exactly. And what you said that you really connect the violence and sometimes just the mental incapacity to come from a place of love, a soul problem, a soul ache. And, you know, it does it does concern me very deeply when leaders in position blame these things on mental illness when mm-hmm. it's definitely something bigger. So they're trying to detract you that anybody with a gun that does this has a mental illness. But right. even if you get angry, it's in a mode of mental illness. So everybody has a mental illness, but we don't all go take a gun and shoot it up. Right. So, you know, looking for ways to see how we can curtail this energy of darkness that is sitting inside of our souls. I think it's the work. And that's what your book is also helping us to do. Too Heavy, A Yoke, Black Woman, and the Burden of Strength fit into your personal mission very well, it seems. But how? Tell us how you've been able to fit that in. Yeah, so this, um, it really started as a personal story. Um, I write in the book that, you know, one day I woke up and realized I was a strong black woman and being one wasn't working for me. Um, that I realized I was trying to be everything to everyone, trying to carry everything, trying to be the fixer everywhere in personal life, work life, everywhere, um, while not having relationships that fed into me, and also trying to do all that with the appearance of not breaking down, right? So always trying to maintain this image of I have it all together. As I began doing my own healing work, I realized that what I was experiencing wasn't unique to me, that I was seeing it and witnessing it everywhere, women I knew, women I didn't know, and realized that this this strong black woman really is a social problem. And so I began to do some research into where did this come from? And realized Mm -hmm. that um, this image was actually a strategy that black women in the um, late 19th century developed as a way of fighting racism and sexism. They said, we're tired of people um, portraying us as immoral and um, as sexually um, um, promiscuous and as thieves and as liars. And so we are instead are going to become known as women who can do everything, right? We are going to have this image of being just impeccable. And so they began going around and teaching that. And so I realized that what I was dealing with was a political strategy. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking it's just a personal issue and realize, oh, no, this is a political strategy that my elders um, developed as a way of dealing with injustices towards them. But it's like they, you know, I talk about it as it's like being given a suit of armor and Mm -hmm. and, and them saying to you, here's your suit of armor. The world is a dangerous place. Um, Put on this suit of armor and this will help you to endure the world. Except some of us, began to wear the suit of armor so long that it became fused onto our bodies, right? And so that even when we weren't in the dangerous place, when we were with friends and families or by ourselves, we were still wearing the suit of armor. And not only that, over time, the suit of armor didn't fit anymore. And we're dragging and lugging around the suit of armor that we can't move in, that we can't function in, but we're feeling like we have to do this in order to be real people, in order to be good people, good women. And so for me, it was very much a personal story that the more I did the work, realized this is not just a personal story. This is a social story. Um, And it's not just a U.S. social story. Um, I've talked to um, pastors from 
India and Nigeria and many parts of the African continent. And, and, and it, it turns out it's a story that deals with colonization, that wherever you've had colonization, there is this way that women in particular try to combat colonization through our identities by saying we're going to disprove what they say about us by being these other people. But that this, mm-hmm. this myth we try to live into sometimes puts more burden on our psyches, especially intergenerationally than kind of the original burden. So we end up creating additional problems and trying to deal with with one problem. That's a lot. That's a lot. hmm, I'm thinking a lot of things right now. The the journey for women, period, have been quite a process. Yes. And and when I look at the journey, I see the gender when you're in the female position body there's the only thing i see that isn't as strong and now it is getting strong is the physical strength mm. but there's there's such a strength that's just wired in the identity of um a soul playing the role of a woman whether it's black chinese asian indian mm-hmm. you name it and i think it's normal for us no i mean shaniko isn't it normal for us to just want to show up and take care of people that's one group. That's the you know, that's the woman. That's the woman that says, I gotta take care of everyone and then she forgets herself. Mm-hmm. Then you have the others who might believe I need a man to take care of me. Right. And she goes through a variety of different forms of decorating herself to lure him in and forgets herself again on the inside yeah. at a deeper level. And then, you know, you've just got those out there that are just trying to go by the norms and the traditions and fulfill Mm -hmm. them. And it goes back to something you said earlier, the importance of self-care. That's the area I think black, white, Indian, Chinese, we are missing that part. We're missing that part. You identify three core features of the ideology of the strong black woman. You mentioned some now, but... It constrains the lives of African-American women and also predisposes them to physical, emotional health problems. Mm-hmm. What are these core features? So the core features of the strong black woman are um, emotional strength. Um, and by emotional strength, that is um, maintaining the image of having it all together and being able to handle everything that comes your way, together with caregiving and then independence, not needing anyone. And neither, none of those things are bad, right? I mean, it is good to be emotionally strong when you need it. It is good to care for each other. It is natural to care for each other. And I think there is something very powerful about the feminine nurturing capacity. But I think that that same gift that women have can be used as a weapon against us. And that's what we find very often in patriarchy is that our strength is turned into a weapon against us, that we're taught that this is this is the soul of our identity. Um, mm-hmm. And same thing, in, independence is not a bad thing, right? We teach our children to grow up to be independent. It's once you get all of these together and you say, unless you are this combination of women, you are not a good woman, right? And you are a you you are an embarrassment um, to your race. That who becomes said a that? very dangerous who said that? thing. Was that did we say that to ourselves, or is that what people were saying? Because haven't you noticed you could make it and become a great success, and people still ain't happy. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So so yeah. So and so to some degree, all women deal with this. But there is a way in which our society really structures our mentality around that. So if you look at popular culture, the vast majority of images of black women in popular culture, just television alone over the past 20 years, the vast majority of the images are strong black women. We have um, Carrie Washington's character, Olivia Pope, who is literally the woman who fixes things for everybody else, right? But but, but Olivia Pope is falling apart, right, on the inside, right? Yeah. We have this uh, Miranda Bailey on Grey's Anatomy, right, for um, the first few seasons. I mean, she was just the woman. She was everybody's mother. I think there was a, a scene where one of the interns said, you are everybody's mother, right? And she's like, no, I'm trying to make it through myself. But You know, and there's a point where she falls apart because she's carrying that image of strength around. And that impacting the real lives of black women, because everybody expects black women um, to be that, to 
to be the person we can give all our burdens to. Mm-hmm. And part of the way I came to realize this was when I was doing therapy with, with, with women. And I realized that for many of my African-American um, female clients, no matter what they came into therapy with, saying this is why I'm coming, that part of what I recognized was that they were struggling with the burden of doing too much. And because mm-hmm. they were taught they had to do too much. Um, they had to care for everyone. I've met women um, when I worked in prison chaplaincy, women who were imprisoned literally because of their caregiving, because they thought mm-hmm. that to care for my son, to care for my spouse means for me to do something that is illegal, but I have to do it because that's what a good mother does. Mm-hmm. Do men go through the same? Do they break down? I mean, or is it just because we have the ability to vent our feelings and we're given permission to do so. I mean, yeah, I think men are more likely to internalize and act out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think there and there is a parallel to the strong black woman for for African-American men, because that image of strength. I mean, that's for one thing, that's a Western and a European feature, you know, Western and American a category that we all buy into to some way. And men are more likely to, to lash out in other ways. So we see that happening a lot of times. I think there's something about the way that women and then women of color and then black women specifically, the way in which we're socialized, even from very early ages. So that, that caregiving right? Kids toys, yeah. what the little girls toys is go take care of people, right? Whereas yeah. boys are, is more about self-definition. And so I think there's just, there's a real imbalance um, in how we're socializing our boys and our girls that feeds into these problems. Yeah, there is um, definitely an innate strength in, I would say a lot of cultures that mm-hmm. um, are foreign. I mean, I've I've been raised with every culture around me, including American or Caucasian, and each one carries their own, you know, particular speciality. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've noticed is in more ancient cultures, there's a strength that is a spirit strength. Yeah. And nobody can. Yeah, nobody can. I mean, no. It's just it's there. You can't really define it. It just exists. You just yeah. know it's there. Like nobody has landed on the sun, so they don't have any proof it's hot, but we know that sun's pretty hot. Right, right, so, right. You know, there's just a power in them. There's just a power. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the role of church and how the churches might often reinforce the mythology of the strong black woman. How have you noticed that happening? So I notice it a lot through the ways in which women talk about talk about their burdens and talk about the relationship of faith to their burdens. So there there are a few kind of cliches that I notice only women say. So there's God won't give you more than you can bear. That is very popular among, I think, African-American women and other women of color, which I actually isn't scriptural in any way, um, in, but it comes out in a lot of Christian and Muslim women actually um, talk about that a lot. If he brought me through it, he'll bring you Um, If you brought me to it, he'll bring you through it. I have to carry the cross. There are ways in which women internalize some of the teachings of the church about um, bearing one another's burdens, but we tend to internalize it, especially black women, as I have to bear other people's burdens, but I can't let anybody bear mine. So again, it's that imbalance thing, right? As you were talking about you know, have, sometimes having that compulsion to cry. I think crying and the ability to cry is part of strength. But when we're trying to, it's, and it's part of a real spiritual strength, right? You, it takes a lot of spiritual strength to cry, especially when it seems like there's not really reason to cry. You know, like sometimes mm-hmm. when you cry because the world is hurting and, you know, I sometimes say I need to cry because somebody's got to cry, right? There's pain out there. <laughs> Somebody needs to cry. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a different thing when we try to take that strength out of ourselves instead of out of um, our spirituality. And yeah. so those are ways that the church does that. I think also the way in which churches, um, there are many churches still that don't honor women's 
call to ministry, yeah. um, religious mm-hmm. leadership. And so what we see in many faith communities is taking advantage of women's service without pouring back into women, right? Without acknowledging that woman as leader, without, um, and it's not even just the acknowledgement, without nurturing her leadership gifts, but kind of just taking, taking, taking from women in ways that are, again, very unbalanced and uneven. One of the things we've noticed historically is the role that women have basically been the galvanizers in bringing communities, people together, you know, getting things really, really established and birthed. And then the men come in and put their name on it and then start to take it there. No, I I really have seen it. Yes, that happens quite a bit. Mary never got credit for all the work she did. Right, right. So the whole point is that um, I don't know if that's just, maybe that's just where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, is it always that, you know, I need my name to be glorified? What is it that you feel that we're really asking for? I think what women want and need more than anything is not so much about attention or glory, or but it's about reciprocity in relationship. And that's, I think, mm. is, what it, is what it is. And so we are to care for others and if you look at the the great commandment for Christians, it, you know, it says love, you know, you have to love God with all your heart. And the second part of the command is love your neighbor as yourself. Implicit mm-hmm. in that is that we love ourselves, right? And that we can only love other people to the extent that we love ourselves, right, is, mm-hmm. is to me what that says. And so we have to start with self-love. And many women we don't believe we're fundamentally lovable. We do all that work because we're trying to earn somebody's love, right? And so it is a different thing to serve out of an abundance, right? Because I love myself so much and, and, you know, I got up this morning and I did my meditation and I ate well and I slept well last night and I have an abundance of energy and love and positive energy that then I can go out and spread into the world. That's a very different thing from, I've got to to um, burn the candle at both ends so that people will appreciate me, so that people will love me, right? And so it, it is part of where the work comes from, and yeah. it's about also how we're in relationship with other people. Do we allow other yeah. people to love us and to help us? Yeah. You know, really, both male and females, I've been really witnessing across the board uh, a real deep need and urgency for self-reflection, introspection, you know, spiritual real awakening and sustaining of that awakening. Because Mm -hmm. even when I look at uh, when a man is insecure and he doesn't feel loved, I can see it in him too. I mean, I think he'd have, but he has that in a walk or he could have a million dollars or $10 billion and that's what everybody sees, not the fact that he's so insecure. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so there's such a need for us to really Rescript our understanding of who we are and and really why we're here. Um, So mindfulness and spirituality, I know you're a big supporter of that. But let's move into the fact that, uh, and and thank you, I mean, it must be a lot. You are a two-time breast cancer survivor. What has that taught you about just life and self-care and your purpose? Yeah, I think it's taught me that it has re-emphasized. Um, I say I've been in a, in a kind of a on this journey of deliberate self-care now for almost 20 years, for about 17 years now. But each element of my breast cancer, um, both times I would di- diagnose, it helped me to turn inward and say, okay, what am I missing? And that's not to say, you know, I don't believe I caused my disease myself. And I don't believe, you know, God caused my disease. But I'm one of those people that every struggle I go through, I look at and say, what can I learn from this? You know, I'm going to take my silver lining out of this cloud, um, even if I have to create it myself, right? So it's always been an invitation. I see it as an invitation to look and say, okay, what what is it that I could be doing better? And I think for me, what has really been striking me over this past journey is how deeply mindfulness and self-care are important in an anti-cancer lifestyle, right? That as Mm -hmm. we find out more and more about the role of 
lifestyle in cancer because we're learning everybody has cancerous cells. We all have these cells that mm-hmm. don't behave, but not all, mm-hmm. not everybody's cells get triggered into a diagnosis of cancer. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it has been become, um, especially because I was diagnosed at the exact same age as my mom the first time. We were both diagnosed young, but we don't have the gene. And so that to me says there's some lifestyle factors at play that Mm -hmm. she and I have in common. What can I do differently? And so for me, learning to put that on the front burner, I always say I feel like I'm doing that, but really saying, looking at how I shortchange myself over and over again to give Mm -hmm. to the world around me, you know, so it's getting up in the morning. I'm not going to sit on the cushion because I need to hurry up and get to work. I'm starting to pay attention to, and really mindfulness is key here, what are the shoulds I put on myself, those burdens that I put on myself that they're actually not part of my job, or that other people would be okay if I showed up 20 minutes later, right? Because, you know, I have a lot of flexibility, but I still put all of these must-dos on myself. So this has been an invitation for me to sit and really be in the present each morning to say, what are the real musts today? Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And to see my self-care as part of that must. Right. And to say, OK, these things have to be done first. What are the things mm-hmm. I kind of like to do, but or I think I need to do, but they're not real needs. Nobody has put that on me. I'm putting that on myself. Right. Um, I'm, so mindfulness helps me filter through all those messages that are in my head about what it takes for me to be a good person, um, what it takes for me to be approved of, and for me to say, where is that really coming from? Is that true? Or is that something I have created and that I'm creating stress for myself? Yeah, yeah, I get that. Well, you're working on a new book, I Bring the Voices of My People, A Womanist Vision for Racial Reconciliation. It's already receiving rave reviews. Can you share with us a little bit about the book? I know we're coming to a close of time, but why it's need, you know, it, it's needed for this time because we're living in a very interesting age. Yeah. So let us know a little bit more about the book. Well, there's a lot of heightened anxiety, I think, about race and racism. We hear it. I mean, almost every news show you watch now, um, we're talking about terms, race, um, racism, white supremacy, privilege. We're throwing those terms around in ways that even a few years ago we wouldn't. So it's very much on our consciousness, causing a lot of anxiety, but we don't really have ways to address it in productive and meaningful ways. And so part of what I wanted to do is to write a book to talk about, first of all, what are all these terms we're throwing about? What have people tried to do, especially in relation to the Christian racial reconciliation movement? And how have those efforts fallen short of what's really needed? And I also wanted to put the voices of women of color at the forefront of the conversation, because I do think women of color, we understand issues of race and racism differently than other groups. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to say this is some of the wisdom that comes out of the experience of women of color. And if the rest of the world pays attention to this wisdom, we'll understand like how how deep this problem is and and how much work has to be done in order to uh, bring us to a place of racial justice. Mm, Big job, big job. Well, considering the chaos and the divisiveness that we're witnessing in the world, are you still optimistic? I am. I I am probably hopelessly optimistic, Um, (laughs) even when it seems like it can't can't be done. Right. Hopelessly optimistic, if that makes sense, Um, that I always, you know, I've always had that sort of kind of um, mentality of if I can just see one kernel of improvement. And I do see kernels of improvement. Our world is very different from what it was 40 and 50 years ago. Um, So there is some progress. There's a lot of work to be done, too. But I believe that there are a lot of good-hearted people out there who genuinely want to see change and justice for all people in this world. Mm, Beautiful. I'm glad to hear that because some days you wake up and you're like, whoa, are we really going to have another day of this? What's your main message? Any last-minute thoughts that are emerging in our conversation that you'd like to share? Just we have to do this work out of love, and I think that's also what maintains our optimism, that we can never give in to the tools of of hate, even when we are so bombarded by negative messages that it's very tempting to throw negative messages out in the world in in return. Um, But we have to stay grounded in love. 
Beautiful. Leave us for the website so our listeners can get more information about you. And when I come up to Atlanta, I'll give you a holler for sure. That'd be great. <laughs> All the very best. What's your you website, too. though? It is www.drshaniqua.com, D-R-C-H-A-N-E-Q-U-A.com. Beautiful. All the very best. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Lovely. So are you are you woke? Yoke what? Come on. It's time for us to get into our power of real recognition of ourselves. And it's going to require a lot of reflection and introspection. And there's nothing wrong with that. You will find what you were missing when you're being introspective or mindful. I loved our conversation with Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes. And for more information, just go to her website at Dr. Shaniqua, D-R-C-H-A-N-E, QUA.com and get a copy of her book too. Sounds like a good reader. Remember, no one, absolutely no one, can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we are all here, we are all here to love each other the same. It's time for us to do that. I'm going to take us to Agape as we listen to Ricky Byers on Holy Holy Way. Take care, everyone. Sister Jenna, you've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or in iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.